Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. I was excited to kind of watch how when Node.js became popular. Mm-hmm. And it was very intriguing to me to be mm-hmm. able to, I mean, how quickly you could set up your own server and then mm-hmm. how simple it was. But also, there's something very sexy about being able to write the same language on the server and the, the client. Yeah. That was really appealing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the uh, type of community that the Node.js community attract, or the type of people that they attracted at first? So I didn't delve too much into the community, mm-hmm. but it seemed to be a lot of... The hacker type who yeah. liked to be like the bleeding edge, you know, I mean, like right, any other new course. thing. Right. Yeah. But even more so for some reason, like sometimes you'll find communities like that, like Erlang has been a really hackery type community that's really extremely popular and, you know, or the community around Erlang rather. And it's the same thing happened with Node. What's been really fun to watch with the Node stuff is you start to see a lot of third parties that really get their feet under them. So like Mm. you see a lot of template templating engines kind of shine in Node, Hmm. Uh, you know, like Slim and some other JavaScript templating engines that just like, you know, maybe they were around before Node, but, you know, they became popular. Right. Right. And that's been cool to watch all those sort of peripheral libraries coming uh, together. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. you're literally watching a you know a future very mature community. I'm not sure how mature it is yet, though. So the the thing I think the thing that got me into looking at Node was Angular. Um, actually, oh doing really? Single, that's interesting. Single page apps using yeah using Node on the server and then some connection deals. What, what is that one library for Node? It'll do the um, Ajax and it'll do the so- Socket.io. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Socket.io. So the funny thing about that stack, if you had like Angular on the front end mm-hmm. and then Node on the back end, is that is so much JavaScript. <laughs> it's like it's more JavaScript than if you had Backbone in Node because Angular is just, it's a massive, you know, it's just mm-hmm. the way you code in it is so obtuse in my opinion that it's just like so much javascript well that's what i've been hearing and so you know i I never actually ended up building anything with angular or or node or socket Mm -hmm. io for that matter but as i've you know stayed in touch a little bit with the whole angular movement Mm -hmm. it definitely seems like there are people that love it and then there are people that have said what you said where it's it's difficult to write in and it's maybe it's more complex than other alternatives like Ember.js, is that one of the alternatives? Yeah, like in the thick client front-end world? Yeah, like single-page app type stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the big three are Backbone, Ember, and Angular. And so you... Go ahead. Well, you worked with Backbone. I remember when we first started talking a while ago. Yeah, I've worked on production apps in Backbone and Angular, but not in Ember. Oh, you did work with Angular? For briefly, yeah. Okay. But I read some interesting things about Backbone, how... It was, you know, I don't remember. It had to have been two years ago when I heard it, but maybe it was complicated or I don't remember. But what was your, so obviously you've used Backbone quite a bit. Mm -hmm. How how does it compare, so speaking only in feature set Mm -hmm. to Angular? Like does it compare directly? Is it a direct correlation or what, what is it good for? 
that's a tough question to ask because no, it's not a one-to-one mapping simply because Backbone allows for more customization, right? It's mm-hmm. very much Backbone is almost like a philosophy and they give you some functions to make oh, okay. that happen. So that's what and, I that's what I remember hearing about it. Yeah. it it's very much like a do-it-yourself kind yeah. of kind of process. I mean, they have the underlying methods for you, right? But mm-hmm. you kind of have to put them together yourself. But Angular very much has a strict pattern in a, in a you know, there's a lot of ways to do it and there's a lot of ways to skin skin it even following the strict pattern, but Right. Still, it's it's a whole different type of app. It's a whole different type of framework, right? You have a very strict sort of behemoth type framework that you kind of once you if you code it correctly, mm-hmm. it, it can be really performant because it's been tuned as you know as long as you follow the map, right? It's it's like been tuned such that it can be really performant, and I've I've seen that in production. That's really cool. And Backbone. You know, on the other side, backbone can be really difficult because there's no like map. You know, there, I mean, there is a light map, but there's no um, one way to do it. And because of that, it's hard to be as performant. But there's a lot of really intelligent people that have created a lot of uh, third party hmm. stuff that for backbone that it's just great. Interesting. So if you were to, I mean, with your little experience with Angular, right? Um, if you were to recommend yeah. somebody who was relatively new to that space, would you say go with Angular or go with Backbone? I would say you should exclude. I mean, it depends on the type of person, I think. Okay. And maybe on the application they're trying to build? Honestly, maybe not so much, yeah. really, because they're all going to do the same thing. Essentially, they're they're kind of all boiling down to the same sort of thing. I mean, one might be a little bit better for something than the other, but I don't. I'm not aware of what that might be. Mm-hmm. But I think it's based on like personality type a little bit. Um, and then also, uh, how, how much like customization you want to do, you know, if you're the kind of person that just likes to basically build it yourself and, and sort of flesh out your own ideas and build out a pattern that you like. And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You have a lot of, right. lot of freedom. Uh, so if you have more opinions going. about how something should be built, then maybe, exactly. maybe backbone. That's key. Yeah. Backbone for sure. Okay. If you have a lot of opinions. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And then, um, if you want to just follow the plan and, and really dive into like JavaScript and like really dive into some more complicated patterns, I would go angular. Hmm. You know, I would say, especially if you're a, a new JavaScript developer, I'd probably go Angular um, simply because you're going to learn a lot, a, a whole, whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but I, would, I wouldn't learn Node.js and Angular at the same time, though. I would not try to build a, oh, really? a new, an app with Node.js and Angular at the same time learning both of them. That's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> okay. At, that's that's a good thing I never tried. Right. Right. I was at, in the beginning there. I was like, oh, this is ideal. I should just do all of this at once. Yeah. And then um, it was just super easy to build stuff in PHP at the time. So mm-hmm. just kept For going sure. with that. But I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a place where at my current job, we are um, going to start building apps, applications hmm. for smartphones. So Android and iOS and the web for, for clients like specific use use case applications and i'm i've been thinking at a very high level like how how i should do that what did you guys decide on so here's the question um you have a certain amount of money that you want to spend to make each app mm-hmm. the, pro- the problem is with android ios windows phone these developers are the most expensive in the market 
in their respective markets, maybe Windows Phone not so much because you have the the whole C sharp community, which is a very expensive market. But other than that, they're the most expensive developers. So okay. you're gonna pay out a ton to get these apps made. So the question, like I'm sure you asked yourself, and you're, the CEO of the company you work for asked himself, was why not just have Keith do it in um, Titanium or PhoneGap, and you know spend maybe like a thousand dollars more than than we would normally pay him for a certain amount of work because it's so intense uh you know but in the end i think you'd save so much yeah so we had this discussion about i mean because there's no way that we're going to build or we're going to bring on android and ios developers at this time mm-hmm. at the size of our company right now just, you could you could manage it all remotely though but i mean it's just it's not really within what we can do Mm-hmm. At, at this time maybe in a year um right. and so it was hard to to think about that i mean so one thing that we considered was doing like a like a front end you know single page app something like mm-hmm. with angular because then we could just roll that in you know and then an, and then an api on the back end right and then roll that into PhoneGap, or I haven't heard of Titanium. Is that another competitor to uh, PhoneGap? Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, some are like for enterprises, and some of them are for agencies and stuff. I, I've used PhoneGap. I've never used Titanium, but um, okay, I, I've heard of. I definitely heard of PhoneGap. Th- that was interesting. What you said, though, like building an Angular app powered by some kind of API that you build, and then sort of massaging that Angular app into PhoneGap somehow. But the problem. With that is PhoneGap requires that you use like jQuery UI and a bunch of other stuff. So I don't know how you would. Really? Well, yeah, because, well, well, okay. So I guess you have some choices. You could, the thing is though, you need to do mobile routing and like some mobile specific things that jQuery Hmm. mobile UI really helps with. And that's what, that's Hmm. what we did when we did it. So I don't know how that would work exactly. That is interesting. And so just to be clear, PhoneGap and apparently Titanium, they take your primary, like your HTML kind of source code and then boil it down into um, applications that you can install on other other platforms, yep. right? Like iOS and Android and stuff like that. Yeah, correct. Which um, is kind of cool because you yeah. can have one, like you could build for the web and yep. then just package it. You can use PhoneGap to just package it. And so that's, that's a pretty... Sounds pretty um, appealing, right? Yeah. I mean, because I'm a web guy, right? I can, I'm can i not a hardcore programmer like in Objective-C or Java or anything. I mean, I could do it, but it would be a, another, a whole other process. Yeah. I mean, there's not really many cons, to be honest. I mean, if you're already a web guy, I mean, I don't know why I haven't done it with a bunch of my own sort of app ideas. You know, I think a lot of people will think that it's just web UIs, but that's not true. So the phone gap doesn't create like web UIs. It can, but ideally what it's going to do is when you sort of uh, generate your Xcode files and generate sort of your Android Eclipse folders or whatever the Java stuff they Mm -hmm. use that I don't care about, um, after you generate that, it's going to basically convert all of that like mobile specific uh, HTML into actual real elements on the phone, right? So it's going to be a native mm-hmm. app. It's totally native. You, as long as you code it correctly, I mean, there's a little right. bit of like a massaging situation where you know, like, sure. if you get if you code some crazy shit, it's not going to do that. So right. what? What? I mean, what are the benefits of using PhoneGap if you could just have your application 
be responsive and look like a native application, but run in the on on the browser. Right? Yeah. So the benefits of PhoneGap is it's a real application that you can send off and install and or sorry, send off and uh, to the App Store. It's mm-hmm. a real literal application that exists on the app store, not in the same for mm-hmm. Android and not in the web. So like that's nice and everything that your website's mobile responsive, but I personally hate using mobile websites unless it's like specifically for something quick that I need to do or get, or I'm purposefully doing it. I just, I hate when people are like, here's a mobile website. It's as good as an app. It's like, no, <laughs> it's not. You just were like super well, lazy. <laughs> so what, what are some of the things, what are the downfalls of a mobile website compared to a mobile application. Like what is it that you don't like about that compared to the native experience? Well, theoretically one could create a mobile website that does everything that an app does and they could both look pretty much the same, right? So what mm-hmm. is the what is the con of that? You know, if let's say that's the scenario, what is like the downside of the website version? It's like it's kind of personal preference. You know, they both well, they both do something. I think I think a a big part of it is is 300 milliseconds, right? That's the time when you're using the the web. Um, your phone, when you tap on something, your phone waits. I think it's 300 milliseconds before it responds because it's yeah. it's waiting to see if you're going to double tap. Well, that for sure. That that so it's not yeah. quite as snappy. Yeah. So I think that's a big one. Like I kind of didn't really know how to word that, but that's a great way. So when when you do any kind of button clicking on the web version, it's still going to load the page to get to the next one. On the app, that will all be loaded in memory just by the nature of the way that mm-hmm. the iPhone and Android store, like you know, uh, again, right. kind of like pages in a way, but they aren't pages. Maybe views. Yeah, views exactly. And then so. Yeah, it's really interesting. And in the you know, the apps are always much snappier. Even if they do the same animations, you know, the same methods, the same buttons, everything. It's just the app's gonna be a better experience. And for me, the concept of a better experience, it sounds like, oh, the, that's just like ten percent better, but it's really like exponentially better. It, you know, it really changes mm-hmm. the game when when you have that sort of interaction. And it and it is just that just that little bit faster. It feels more natural. Yeah. So one of the other things I've heard th- the difference is persistence, right? I know when I open up my browser again, it reloads the page. Yeah, persistence. And yeah, so you you can have an application like an installable application and it will maintain your state, yeah. right? Unless you close it, it will maintain the same state. Totally. And I yeah, and I mean we're building we're building an iOS app right now and you know, we're saving state constantly, right? It's like mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, we want to provide somebody the most seamless experience and the type of app we're building. It's necessary that they open it and they land on the place they were at. Right. Mm, very interesting. It is very cool. And the state that is that is a good point. I think we basically just described, you know, the differences between a mobile version of something and an app version. Now, Mm-hmm. that's nice and all, but like most businesses, when they decide this, do we make a mobile version or do we make an app? And even just like people like you and me, if we wanted to build an app, we have to make this decision of what is more financially viable, mm-hmm. right? What is more financially responsible to do? And the unfortunate reality is most of the time it is the mobile website. Right. And well, I guess technically all the time, like you're never going to build a mobile website for more than you build a mobile application. I mean, unless... right. I mean, it's possible, but you it's wouldn't. It's possible, yeah, but you wouldn't. 
And uh, so I guess what, what would you say to that? Like, what is something that somebody could use to make a decision like that? You know, if somebody does decide to invest the money on the app, is it really worth that extra investment? Well, I think part of it has to do with features because the the client that we're working with that we're, we're kind of building a quote for right now wants to do some things that you simply can't do in a browser. What's an example? Uh, so one of them is we want to pinpoint GPS, their, their exact coordinates at a specific time, and just log it with a particular uh, record. But then we want them to be able to open up the camera and save pictures directly to one of those records as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I guess maybe you can do some of that in the browser, but it is a way better experience in the app. Mm-hmm. And they, they refuse to do like an app. I guess they're doing the same kind of justification, like, oh, it's cheaper. Well, no, we, we're, we're in the process of uh, coming back to them with a proposal. And I think so the decision we came to was not to hire out an iOS or Android developer. But instead, we're, we've, we looked at a, an application, kind of a third party to PhoneGap, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's called Appery.io. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, so well, it, what is this? Appery Appery.io. and it's essentially a a graphic like drag and drop interface. And I hate that idea, like from a developer standpoint. But mm. it would enable us to build something pretty quickly and get it out there. Hmm, this is compelling in a way. I mean, they seem to have pretty big customers: AT and T, Samsung. Mm-hmm. Why would they have customers like that? Yeah, I don't know. Well, okay, so they, they I think they specialize in that kind of enterprise application. You can use the site to build an application and then um, get the, the source code for the iOS and, and Android app stores. And then um, you don't have to continue having an account with Appery.io, but you can also use their service to create an API very, very easily. Well, this is fantastic. And so the benefit is, and so you would pay a monthly fee, and and then they would they would maintain the API in the database for you. And I don't know, that's kind of appealing because part of part of wanting for me, part of wanting to build an Angular app is is great. I would love to get in and learn that, but at the same time, I'm going to have to build a server side app as well at the API. Yep. What I would say is. First of all, I just registered with Appery, and it is very cool. Mm-hmm. I've already started creating my first app. Yeah, I mean, I really like this type of idea. Like this, you know, let's, it's basically like, let's make this as simple as possible for people, and let's create the most complex possible outcome. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it, an API and a mobile app. Like, that's pretty non-trivial, I, you know, and they just basically do it. So we're looking into that, and it, it looks like a pretty good way to to get the simple right so what what we're our customers you know we're probably going to stick with building app you know mobile applications for our customers that are going to take some of their internal processes online and a lot of that is you know basic data entry type stuff and pretty simple stuff well before you get to that can i just mention what you Mm -hmm. were saying earlier you mentioned um you know, you had to make a decision about going with, or you still have to make a decision about going with Appery or building it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would say about that is you're at a company where you're like one person that seems to be the web developer and the technical director kind of a role. And then right. um, there's obviously some designers, but it's a very small team. Now, 
take that and then think about six months from now, say you have like a few mobile apps that you're managing. And then let's say you have like an API, maybe you have like a couple APIs, say you have a customer that wants a specific change request. And then you have all these different things that you're taking care of, you know, that seems not scalable. So Mm -hmm. because it's just you, um, you know, what I would do is I would totally go with what you were thinking. I, I mean, I think you were getting at uh, that Appery would take that all away from you. Like, you don't right. have to deal with any of that. Right. And I it totally would be, agree. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be easier for where we're at now. I, I mean, it's very yeah. it's very appealing and it's, you know, almost sexy to, to just build your own, you know, native app from from scratch you know with but the ima- or java but the sexiness does not outweigh like the amount of stress and just to manage one system the amount of stress that comes with that mm-hmm. is pretty significant if that system is in production with any kind of load on it like mm-hmm. imagine doing that with multiple apps like you would be you know adding stat tracking and then you'd have to like add stat tracking and generate the app for client one and then generate the app for client two. But then you realize client two's functionality is a little advanced. It doesn't interact with the stat tracking. So then the client third, you know, you have all these crazy things that you're trying to do. That would be a nightmare. Right. And it's just not possible for where our company is at right now. And I guess this, this brings up a bigger conversation about web development because as it's become more complicated, um, there, have, there are tools now that allow you to do um, pretty complicated things in a simple way. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a different way to do web development for specific things. Okay. I don't know if you understand what I'm getting at here, but it's it's less about the actual programming and maybe more about fitting pieces together. Mm-hmm like building things with like graphic interfaces and things and then right. understanding how applications are built. That's kind of what Appery IO does, right? Mm. You you drag and drop and then you connect things and, and you build it, right? And so maybe that's more of a user interface slash, I don't know. It, it encompasses a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say about that is I think if you step back a little bit from sort of how all these sort of apps are working nowadays is well let's look at it from companies so scope out on apps and you get the company that runs the app right so my thing is if you zoom out on all the companies currently you'll find that you know they're all doing like really complex things but the way that they're achieving success is by putting it all together in the right order you know like if you simply mm-hmm. take technical infrastructure and you look at how different companies apply their patterns to that they're basically just saying you know we can increase here or there but like we have an idea on how to connect things a little differently or do something a little you know uniquely in the code or do that you know and it's all about that connection like the load balancer does this before it hits the cdn that's connected to the blood you know and it's like all this stuff and everybody has their own way of doing it and so i mean i think you know, I, I, I'm just validating sort of your statement. I think, you know, having that sort of a an application or mindset. Right. What does that mean for somebody coming into web development? Do we want to, you know, to say that as a web developer, you should be literally coding or programming all day? Or maybe if it's, you know, if there's a tool that can get you to where you need to be, 
then maybe that's a good thing to do. I think it's almost that what you just said is true, kind of. Maybe I agree with that, but also I agree that they should build it themselves to learn, right? Yes. But but if there's this other thing where I think people shouldn't spend so much time coding and I don't think they should spend so much time reading like um textbooks on code. I think they should spend time trying to work with APIs. And like trying to pull data in from Google Maps and export data out to this and like mm. write things to CSV files and like download things from here and do interesting stat tracking and apply your like ed- your like that week's like code learning. I mm-hmm. would apply that to this sort of um, API learning as well. And then you could do, you know, code analysis on some kind of data set that you get from an API. And the point is the reason you're doing this is because throughout this process, you're learning about contracts you know pr- like an like a that's a philosophical okay. contract like a handshake yeah like a handshake you're learning about like the more theory behind that and you're mm-hmm. learning about organizations how uh other developers uh write their apis what kind of standards there are around your and so you're learning about so much different peripheral things that i feel like it will allow you to have the clear big picture and you won't mm-hmm. get like so focused and ruined from like, oh, there's just so much code. It's too much. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It's like if you have that, you know, and it feels good to like start pulling in data from another API. Like that just feels cool and you're going right. to feel good doing it. And so it's it's critical for a newbie, I think. Yeah, it's got to be like, you know, the same kind of feeling when you set up your first database, right? Your first CRUD application that can write and then retrieve information from a database. But, yeah. you know, the the world is changing and that there are so many applications and there's so much data and yeah. it's really it, it it's it's almost become a game and I, actually I think it has become a game of collating and displaying information that ne- not you don't necessarily own or control yourself but that you're yeah. pulling from other areas and I think people who are really good at connecting connecting services Mm-hmm. Uh, are going to be the, m- the more successful people in the future. And I mean, there's also another really interesting conversation on um, API preservation and the hmm. the philosophical significance of the potential of API mm-hmm. histories n- being created. And like the the idea that like you can have an API that lasts forever somehow, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's a lot of like philosophical implications of that in the way that we write software you know, and how long we expect software to live because almost everything connects with everything and it will in the future. So this uh, connection layer, this what you would call an API, it almost needs to be governed by principles and and philosophical inquiry that is very uh, based on morality in a way because it's like if this goes away, then the whole system falls apart. Right. And that's right. that's how it is now too. But I mean, it's, it's like in, in data centers. It's not so much distributed. Hmm. This conversation about data and how you access data and display it is only going to be increasing because for somebody to have not seen the writing on the wall, that there's more data being collected has to have been living in a shell or something Mm because the world is is collecting so much more data and people want to use it. And I think there are there are tons of opportunities for people who can look at data maybe stuff from completely different services but combine them in a way that's exciting or new and different and make a business out of it yeah i totally 100 percent agree with that sentiment and i think you can look at it logically as well and say 
Why, for instance, here's my reasoning. I think there's going to be more web development jobs in the next five years than there's ever been. Some people would say that's ridiculous because it's in a bubble and, you know, let's say mm-hmm. the tech bubble pops, then a bunch of jobs go away and stuff. The The difference is the amount of data that we're inputting into the system, quote, is not going to change. It might right. a little bit, but it's not dramatically. And well, the, it'll increase if anything. It'll increase if anything, exactly. And so, therefore, you need people that crunch, analyze, uh, mm-hmm. present that collate. data, and yep. yeah, collate and present that data. And what a web developer is is they're simply a data presenter, and you mm-hmm. are going to exist for forever as long as there's not a tool that automatically does what you do. And that's that could be. I mean, there could be robots that do this in the in the next right. couple of years. Yeah, but somebody's going to have to build those robots. To do that well there already are a couple really awesome projects getting started to like auto create web apps from like business requirements and so oh man that's, that's gonna cool. put us all out of work well i want to mention i want to mention one one other podcast that i listen to quite a bit yeah and they are they are um proponents of this idea of you know well okay so they're proponents of building applications that run everywhere and mm-hmm. and APIs as well. And I've learned a ton about APIs. And so API is just application programming interface. And it's just a way that you can send data between different programs. And um, it's fun. The, the The podcast is called The Niche Podcast, N-I-T-C-H dot C-C. And it's hosted by Jonathan Stark and Kelly Shaver. Um, but they mm-hmm. talk about this kind of stuff. And it's, it's exciting to Very kind cool. of hear their take. Yeah, I'll definitely check that kind of coming back around to to node.js mm-hmm. the the way that you you know the way that i would have used node.js with angular for an application like a single page app would have been to create essentially to create a, a, an api mm-hmm. and then um connect it that way but there's plenty of other ways you can create an api uh, mm-hmm. last last episode we talked about php and laravel and laravel has some pretty cool features that allow you to create APIs um, almost automatically as you build your your controllers and your your um, your module your models and this is just a really quick funny thought uh-huh. imagine in the future that all of these apps that people are building to automatically generate web apps are a success imagine they're a hit success all these new companies are being created because people are building services automatically. Now, what does a web developer become? Does a web developer lose his job? Maybe, mm-hmm. potentially a lot of them because they're idiots. What you would do to not lose your job is the same thing that woodworkers are doing now to not lose their jobs to machines. Artisan? Artisan. Exactly. Mm. You are an artisan developer and you are an artisan wood woodworker. I think mm-hmm. I said woodmaker. That doesn't make sense. Woodworker. And it's it's the same concept, right? Like you will forever be in existence as long as this right. is an art platform, uh, which it will be forever potentially as long as electricity exists, that you know, you will be there to to present data on it, which is a cool there, thought. There will always be people who don't want to go to Fred Meyer to buy uh, table right? for no- buy or a grocery store to buy or you know a big department store to buy a, uh, a dining room table and they will go somewhere else let's pretend all of the like comfort money in the world went away and nobody mm-hmm. could spend like online like spend money online i don't know this is a weird mm-hmm. scenario okay. but i still think there would be a market for web developers in the art world it's it's oh, just like people i've never had somebody come up with to me when i was questioning web development and tell me this like hey think 
about the future logically, like really oh, think man. through it. And, and you kind of arrive at that conclusion, or at least I do. And it, it's really like amazing because it's, you know, it's so when an industry loses its utility, right? It's a, it's its ability to actually produce. Yeah. Then there's a there's a nostalgia attached, mm -hmm. and, and then also there's another um, almost like a sub utility that is called like the art that that then produces, right? Hmm. So so you can jump on hmm. to one of those worlds, I think, when or if the utility the main utility of of whatever it is that you were working for collapses. I don't know. That's a really weird way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm so I'm I'm reminded. I just. Um, found an emulator for for Nintendo <laughs> for Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and it's it's almost like that eight bit you know that eight bit experience with the the fun noise sound effects and stuff that has almost become an art now. Yeah, people build stuff and and do art with in it. that same style. Yeah. Well, literally, they take the sounds from the Nintendo and make art, and it's become a huge thing called chip tunes. And yeah. and that has become like a industry in and of itself that has created like a, and that would never have existed, you know, perhaps not that exact thing if these types of consoles never were right. created. Well, but then also because gaming has evolved sure. way beyond that, yeah, and and it's been left in the dust, and you could say that 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 kind of gaming is dead or dormant, right? Yeah. But but it's revived in in some ways because people it is it's nostalgic people people love it remember that yeah yeah and it's it's hmm. funny you were totally right with the utility concept it's like the main utility of a nintendo has lost it's gone like mm -hmm. the main utility of it was like oh my god this is possible in the mm -hmm. moment of like 1988 or whatever it's like this <laughs> or not 95 or whatever it's like this is possible um but now that utility is gone because it's it's just a fun thing so what's left is the nostalgia and what you're seeing is like a resurgence of you know you have seen this for years is a resurgence on the you know the island OS and Android platforms of these pixel-based games. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of seeing people really emotionally connecting to that art style and just expand that same cycle out and apply it to everything in the world because it's the exact same cycle, right? It, go, it comes in waves. I wonder how that what that would look like, right? For, for web development or um, maybe it's specific types of web, of web development like html or css and like mobile application development sure if those things were as as nintendo are now like how would we think about and perceive that craft there's things that we can tie that to in our own world so here's one um for instance some things that we used to do when we first got on the web in h in geocities back in the day in like 95 or 6 me and you and like people in our generations we were like oh this html is so amazing let's put these gifs in our site of people shoveling <laughs> and like fun things and then those things uh their main utility got lost you know their main utility at the time that they were created were to like tell you that the page was under construction with an animated gif of a guy shoveling it's like that's the main utility but we we mm -hmm. don't care anymore because we've moved beyond it the main utility for us now is different but there's been like a resurgence this is a bad example there's never been a resurgence of that specifically what i'm talking about but mm -hmm. i feel like you can find things here help me out like what is something well, in our industry that's resurged like that 
the example I have definitely hasn't resurged, but it's the the rainbow colored marquee as it scrolls across the page. Okay. <laughs> See, I was going marquee too. <laughs> there used to be the stupidest marquees in the history of the universe oh that every gosh. 14 year old made on every GeoCities page. That MySpace. Said, yeah, oh. in MySpace too. Oh my gosh. And they all said like, welcome to my site. Please sign my guest book. And it's <laughs> so great. Yeah. And then, um, but I might add that to my site just because the funny thing is though, it's like, I've never seen a resurgence of marquees. <laughs> <laughs> it's like never been a thing, but there is something in our industry like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I can't think of anything, but I don't know. It's, it's a fun concept to think about. It is because, you yeah. know, it provides you a level of security in a way. I mean, you know, people don't zoom out, I feel like, in a way enough, you know, and if they did, they would see that the cycles come and go and that the security is basically always there. You just ride the cycles, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in an industry changing like this one. Right. So as we talk about the end of, of the web development career, um, let's just be specific. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, like anytime in the next, what, 20 years? This is an interesting topic. So let's talk about like what happens if the bubble... So right now it's you know a lot of uh vcs and angels that used to say we weren't in a bubble are now saying we are in a bubble it's pretty Mm -hmm. common knowledge that we're in a price bubble where you know we've been in one for a while where the um you know the fluctuation and basically prices throughout the market is is inconsistent or like not normal in a way so the you know they're calling it a bubble now Mm -hmm. the the cool thing about this bubble is like it's pretty much constricted to like rich people in silicon valley because the last bubble, it crashed the whole stock market. So what that did is normal people that were invested in the stock market lost everything. So like that's mm-hmm. a bad bubble. And that lose jo- like you lose jobs in a bubble like that, right? Like there's jobs right. lost every day in that. Now with this potential bubble that we're in now around web and, and, you know, being a web developer, that might concern you. But, you know, say it does crash. Basically, what happens is all the people that invested in companies in the West Coast and Silicon Valley and in New York and in Florida or wherever the hell else there's tech hubs, they all lose their money and they go down pretty mm-hmm. significantly, probably not to zero because these are all really rich people to start with. And that's why it's not going to be a big deal. Now, it could potentially be a big deal. Well, not a big deal for the economy, not a big deal for but the economy. People, people will lose their jobs. Potentially, some people could lose their jobs. Basically, what I mean by not a big deal is not like 2008. Oh, yeah. And as a web developer, I would not be concerned about losing your job if you're even 10% aware of what's happening, right? There's an interesting correlation to the construction industry where I live because it was booming like in 2006, right? Sure. And everybody and their brother was a builder. Mm-hmm. They would build houses, right? Because the money was so good. Mm-hmm. And when the economy tanked, that all went away, almost all of it. And now as the economy's back up, the only the only people who are still in the market are people who do really good work. Um, and could weather out the storm, right? The people who are serious. And I think it's a similar situation with web developers is if you're just in here just to make a quick buck, that's the wrong wrong approach. The better approach is to commit to it, to learn stuff, to be committed to learning 
the new technologies and being good at what you do. Let's juxtapose exactly what you just said, right? So Mm -hmm. in the bubble, in the housing bubble, um, it was tied to a lot of different things that basically brought the entire stock market down. So what did that mean? That means banks can't lend money to build new houses. And so the building industry is one of the first industries to grind to a halt. So -hmm. like that is very much intercorrelated to that. And as a web developer, you might feel as though you're intercorrelated to Silicon Valley, but you're not. Let's say the bubble crashes, a bunch of people in Silicon Valley, New York lose you know, $10 million, $100 million, all these investors go down. What does that mean? That means that there might not be the same volume of work in the market, like as a web developer, but there's still going to be all those people from coast to coast that purchase mm-hmm. websites and need shit done. And it's not going to affect any of the normal day-to-day people, but right. it I think could, you're right. it could affect the like, you know, it'll definitely affect the volume. There'll be and some, it could affect the price because it could affect the price. Because if you have people who are in the in the tech bubbles, right, losing their jobs, th- those are the people who have the, the more experience, potentially, right, who yeah. are the, at the top of the field. They would take the jobs that maybe you were looking for and, and they would get them. And you've got to, again, you've got to ride the cycle, which kind of in this case re- uh, corresponds to ride the market. You've got to ride the prices. You can't be mm-hmm. the dick that's charging high prices when nobody else is. I mean, you've got to be... You have to understand that like if you're used to getting paid $160,000 a year and the market crashes a little bit, 10%, you've got to get used to now 10% less. You know, Dude, I, I would love 160 a year. That'd be awesome. I don't know any... Well, I would love that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know Good. anybody that makes so, it right now. Good. Okay, cool. Um, so the one thing I wanted to mention is like um, the way I see web development going, and this has been said... I mean, you've probably heard the term the appification of everything. Sure. And that's not going away. That is still happening. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's a very relevant discussion mm-hmm. for um, the single page apps and building mobile and tablet applications because there are, I mean, think of any small business that you know. Mm-hmm. They have internal processes that, you know, if put online into an application, their business would become more efficient. And so I think what we're going to see is is just a surge of small businesses who who can see that that would help yeah. and who go and seek those applications. And they're nothing fancy. They're not games. They're really simple stuff. But, yeah. but it's there. And I think that that's going to be huge. So here's my concern with the appification of everything. I love the idea. I love the concept. I love what the outcome will be. And I love the result in our lives, which will be convenience. It'll basically make everything better. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is what you're doing is you're so closely tying the economy to the state of technology. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say... Every small business in America was appified and they were all brought online and most of their services were moved from like phone calls to some kind of online transaction. Like at Mm -hmm. first that sounds great, right? Now let's say the same bubble that we already talked about, that's not a big deal. Let's say that same bubble happens and it bursts. A bunch of hedge fund managers liquidate all their tech holdings. A bunch of people in New York and San Francisco lose maybe $10 million, $100 million or more. And then those people don't want to fund new businesses in the tech mm-hmm. market for like a, at least a year probably. And mm-hmm. then banks... Because of how intercorrelated all this is in the market, banks don't want to lend to tech companies, and it 
that could potentially have an effect where it brings mm. all of these companies that are now online to a grinding halt because mm -hmm. the bank would say, okay, we're raising interest rates on you because you're a tech company. Technically, even though, you know, oh, you're, kind, you're kind of unrelated, but like your business relies on tech, you know, your interest rates are going up, you know, whatever. I don't know that the situation, a... but it, it could be concerning. There is some kind of scenario there. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, and that very well could be, I was... I was thinking more in the back end, not necessarily customer facing, but like in the back end, like inventory processing and like, you know. Well, that would grind to a halt as well. Right? Well, I, I don't know because I think you have business owners who see all the applications that they have on their phone and their tablet and then they, they look at their, their processes inside their business and they think, oh, well, instead of writing this stuff down on a form or using Excel – maybe this would be better as an application that I can just use on my phone or a tablet, right? And and so they're going to want applications to do that. And we're already getting requests for that, right? And I think that's, that's going to be a huge industry. But the flip side of that is you're right, is that these same businesses are going to want appli uh, installable applications for customers, you know, for their customers, yeah. whatever the industry may be. Totally. And if you, if on a macro level, you know, our conversation that we just had totally applies and what you're saying totally applies, right? On a macro level, um, eventually they're going to need more technical resources. They're going to come more and more online and they're going to amplify more aspects of their business. Now, mm -hmm. because that could potentially lead to some kind of micro, uh, macro disaster, I don't think that means um, you shouldn't do it. You know, I think you personally and your company, if you want to appify a bunch of stuff and use it as services to then go sell to new clients and get those and make money, I think you should do it because I think there will be a solution that comes along to solve this just as there has been for everything. And so I'm just kind of having faith in that innovation cycle. Like, like how, what kind of a service do you mean? Oh yeah. So, I mean, I, I figured you guys were going to uh, make a service or something around this like appification idea. And then you were going to take that and like pitch it to clients. And, like, do you want this package or this package? We'll make an app and all that stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. No, I mean, m mostly what I was thinking about is just custom applications that are tailored to mm. the specific business because some businesses look very different than other businesses. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, the service probably would be like one mobile app and then that's as broad, mm -hmm. you know, so that you can dive into the specifics of, of that mm -hmm. service. Like maybe one package, you get a mobile app and a website and then mm -hmm. another package, you get kind of all three, you know, people love packages. <laughs> right. Well, and, and it's definitely a good way to, to market your services. And so yeah. one of the things we were thinking about is, is like maybe an upfront cost and then, and probably a monthly deal, but then maybe offering to do, up updates right updates yeah. to the application like upgrades to new versions every quarter or something you know as mm -hmm. as the business is is looking and, and saying oh this would be a really cool feature to add instead of just adding those willy-nilly all over the place you know we put them into a list and then that becomes part of the next version of the application for sure so there's there's this support cycle that you get as well mm -hmm. that's so. cool i mean i'm stoked for you guys i, I think it's a really interesting place to go yeah, I definitely, I don't know, I think it's a trend. Um, and if we're not seeing very much of it now, we will. We absolutely will. For sure. I mean, I think it has been a trend. And, and just, you know, for all the web developers out there that might be listening to this, you know, I think you can totally get on board with that trend. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like I used to, when I did startup freelancing, I specialized in management-based solutions for startups like that need mm -hmm. quick 
quick. That is exactly what we're talking about. It's like a business service that somebody offers that they want to bring online and they want to make it a startup and they want to do it like quick. Mm-hmm. It, as a freelancer, any web developers listening, that's a literally a dream come true for a freelancer. You could not have a better market for freelancing. There could right. not possibly be a better market. Well, and it's really untapped right now because everybody understands the the usability, the, the use cases for a native application and and how fun it is to have it, you know, your your application always with you in your, in your smartphone. It would not take much to go to some businesses, maybe people that you know that have businesses and say, hey, have you ever thought about taking your internal processes and putting them in application? I'll tell you what, let me let me take a week and shadow your company and I will find out what would be efficient and then build an application for you. That's, and, and that's it, legit. That's legit as hell. And here's the reason why I think it's such a good idea to build applications for other people instead of build your own. Yeah, it's like super rewarding to build your own and all that. You should definitely do that at one point in your life. But it's not as financially rewarding potentially nine out of ten times as you actually think. And one reason is there is such like an incredible amount of noise in the application world. And obviously we all know this. We've heard about this for years. There's so many applications, like 10 billion or something um, or 1 billion, whatever Apple announced at the latest keynote. Um, So if you build your own application, you not only have to be very good technically, but you also have to be exceptional at marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, or your application has to be so goddamn mind blowing that other people are just compelled to try it, right? So and what to it, share it. Yeah. yeah, and to share it. So what is the way to avoid that and sidestep that but still make make money? And that's to simply build other people other people's applications and let them worry about all that stuff. That's the hard right. part, the marketing right. and all that. Well, the, we've been so focused and Apple and, and, and Google are they do this with all of their keynote you know, all their speeches and everything is they they showcase all of the applications on their app store that are for the general market typically mm-hmm. and we don't get to see what the market looks like for for these kinds of applications that we're talking about for small businesses because the user base for these applications is small M- maybe it's like 10 to 20 people i think you're that's exactly right and that's why we don't see anything about it ever mm-hmm. because the marketplaces for a small business application are that small business's customers and usually it's maybe i don't know maybe they're global maybe not then it's not a small business i mean if it's a small business it's a small amount of people well i mean i mean internally right we're talking about taking an internal process oh if we're talking about like internal processes yeah, yeah then maybe even the smaller only- even yeah, like like between five to fifty people yeah. would ever use that application. Yeah, but which is why you should automate as many processes as possible because the amount of people, so the amount of like time to develop versus the amount of return, uh, mm-hmm. returned like saved if saved time, whatever that ratio is, it's going to be way out of whack. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're developing an app that like five people are going to be power users of, and it's like really complicated. I, I worked at a food delivery company in Chicago and it was a startup and we had this exact problem. Like uh, eventually one day after developing this really complex back-end strategic like ordering and and then logistics system uh, for these uh, girls to run and manage that they were already doing on mm-hmm. the phone, we mm. were we realized that the basically the saved efficiency of of them doing it on the computer versus the time that we were spending building it, which would have potentially been like over six months, mm-hmm. uh, that was way out of whack, way right. out of whack. Well, but that's where something like Apri.io comes in, 
where it's exactly yep where you don't have to code every piece of it yeah um and it is i mean you have full control uh, yeah. It is drag and drop user interface. You can drag a button here, drag a list here, but then it's it's essentially it is HTML and CSS, and so you can go in and you can customize it to however you like. But you know, it's a platform that if you were to learn something like that, like really, really learn it and know it, mm-hmm. you could. You know, if you had the right personality, you could go into a business and understand their processes, and you know, and that could be kind of the the platform that you use to build from. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about this this um, this market. It's similar to it's similar to uh, what you just described. Is similar to people uh, shilling Squarespace in a way. You're kind of like you're creating a business mm-hmm. on top of another platform that makes it easier for you to perform the services that you that you offer, thereby making it uh, more cost effective for you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes at starthere.fm slash webdev slash 11. And if you have some thoughts about uh, building mobile applications or the future of web development, please go ahead and leave those in the comments. Or you can email us. You can email me, Keith, at starthere.fm. And I'm Dane at starthere.fm. And you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash underscore D-A-I-N for Dane. And I'm at Keith Mon, K-E-I-T-H-M-O-N. See you guys next week. See ya. Bye. What is your beverage of choice this evening? Well, I have a coffee that is cold Uh-oh. that I'm not drinking. Okay. But it is the latest beverage that was in my hand. And it's 930 at night and I had the coffee at like 7 because I have ridiculous amount of stuff to do. But the cup is notable. The cup says never stop hacking, oh. which, which I agree with. Oh, very nice. <laughs> That's good. What about you? I'm enjoying a local brew. It's uh, by Ten Barrel Brewing. It's mm. called Pray for Snow. It's a winter ale, and it wow. is a tasty. <laughs> it is a tasty dark ale. 
Oh, that sounds so much better in every possible way. It's even themed correctly. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a good beer. Now, the only downside to this particular um, brewery, Ten Barrel Brewing, is that... It's um, a little too walnutty. Is that the is that the problem? It's a good problem <laughs> no. to have. <laughs> no, uh, it's it's. I think it's the second largest brewery um, in in my town. It's a it's a microbrewery, mm-hmm. um, but it's one of the fastest in the country, fastest growing in the country. They just recently sold out to Anheuser Busch. Ah, oh, sellouts. Yeah, the worst. I know. Now are we going to revolt? And, and you're clearly not going to finish that beer, right? Well, I wasn't going. I was actually going to boycott them, but it was in the store, and I'm like, oh, that was such a tasty beer last year. And then uh, I walked out the store with it. So maybe next time I'll pass up. Mm, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Next winter. Mm. 